Good morning, Ridge Point Church. Aren't you thankful that God's faithfulness has never waned and it never will? That song reminds me of that, and I'm thankful for that this morning. Great job, worship team. So blessed to be able to sing with the congregation. I told myself, I made a mistake. Let me just go ahead and say, I told myself after the first service, I sung too hard. I got to stop singing. I want to get through two services today. And I sung just as hard the second service, so bear with me. I shouldn't have done it, man. My goodness. Well, whatever. We'll get through it. No worries. Bless this home, week four, closing this out. It's been a great series. Pastor Clayton's brought us through three really awesome weeks about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. It's what it's commonly referred to as. And today we're looking at one more final statement as we wrap the series up. Now listen, Jesus was talking to everybody in this sermon. He was talking to everybody, but the purpose of this series is to talk about how we can apply that as families. So we're looking at that, and listen, today I know maybe you're in here and you ain't got a family, you're, you're, you're single, or maybe it's just a couple and you don't have any kids yet. That's no worry, because the thing is, we can apply these statements and these truths and what we'll learn about today at any stage in our life, because it's never too late to plant the seed, to learn and to grow and prepare your future family Amen. for that. I believe that with all my heart. If you don't care, will you pray with me one more time? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, God, taking the place on the cross instead of us that we deserved, but we did not get. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that's new each and every day. I thank you for this body of believers in here this morning. Thank you for those watching online, wherever you're at. I'm thankful for you this morning. I pray a special blessing over each and every person who's in here right now, and I just pray this morning that my words are not my words and that they are your words, God. It's in your holy name we pray as we say together, amen. Great. So continuing with the theme of the series, pastors had this statement as a main point in every one of the weeks that we've learned about, but it's, we're focusing on the idea that we're not just going to be Christian homes. We are, if you know the phrase, please say it with me if you do know, we are going to be Christ-centered families. One more time, we are Christ-centered families. Thank you so much. So what's the distinction? What's the point, Michael? I don't get it. I'm new to this church. I'm new to the series. First time tuning in. Why does it matter if we're a Christian home or a Christ-centered family? What's the point? I don't get it. Well, let's talk about that. I'm going to be honest with you and say, and don't think this is harsh, but I don't think the term Christian means what it used to mean. It gets thrown around too much. I know from my personal experience growing up in Pikeville, about 25 miles down the road, in my early childhood, teenage years, whatever, I heard a phrase like this, and I'm sure if you grew up in Floyd County or surrounding counties, wherever you're at, wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. You've heard something like this statement. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I grew up around a family who went to church occasionally, so I guess I'm a Christian. Or I went a few times growing up, you know, I still occasionally go for the big days, you know, rubbing your shoulders or elbows, I should say, with your neighbor Easterns, Christmas. I'm there for two out of the 52 weeks of the year. You know, whatever phrasing you want to put that in, you've heard it. And I, I think a lot of people would even say, and this is dangerous ground to be treading on, I'm not really anything else, so I guess I am a Christian. That's dangerous ground because if it's Christian in name only, there's no evidence to support it. That's a huge problem. If we find ourselves in that position where it's just Christian in name, and there's no evidence to support it, how can we ever be different and called out separate from the world in God's family, in God's church? How can we ever be different if we're just Christian in name? We can't. 
If there's nothing different that sets us out from the rest of the world, then are we not doing something wrong? Do we need to examine in our lives, why is this different? Why am I not being, why am I not different from the rest of the world? What's going on? So I want to hit on that in a bit, but for now, here's the key point for today. And this might not be in the screen. I don't think it will be. I don't think I gave it to them, but it is in your version app, which you can go to today. If you have your Bible app on your phone, hit more on the bottom right-hand side of the toolbar and hit events. Ridgepoint Church will pop up. You can save all the notes, follow along with my verses and my scripture in here today that I've got in here, and you can take your own notes. But here's, here's a key point, and this will be in there. If Christ is not only a part of our lives, but he is instead what our lives are truly centered around, then the evidence will be clear to those who look on. Amen. When Christ takes the center of our lives and our homes, our values will be different. The way that we raise our kids will be different. Christ-centered homes, I'm sorry, Christ-centered families will treat people differently. And that's the key thing we're going to talk about today. So, right, the main thought. I know this is a super fun topic. What do you got for us today, Michael? We're ready for some fun. We want a fun topic. Well, here you go. If you're a Christ-centered family, you will face persecution. Boom. How fun is that? You ready? We're diving in. Hey, Michael, this isn't what I signed up for when I walked in this building. Well, guess what? You're here. We're going to talk about it. There's some truth in this. It's not all woe, sorrowful stuff. It's good stuff. We're going to get into some truth that Jesus has for us today. But yes, if you're a Christ-centered family, you will be persecuted. If you are striving and you're calling yourself a Christ-centered family, or you're planting, like I said, those seeds, if you're planting the seeds to have one in the future, then you have to understand that you will be mocked. You'll be persecuted. Your family will be ridiculed. They'll be looked at differently or worse, all because you've made the claim that you're a Christ-centered family. Let's recap real quick the last few weeks that Clayton's brought us through. First week, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness in an unrighteous world, I can bet my last dollar that you're going to be mocked. Okay? Week 2, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In a world that's full of impurity and literally idolizes sexual immorality or any kind of normality of the like, if you're proclaiming that you're going to be pure in heart, body, and mind, you're going to get ridiculed for that. There's no doubt about it. Week 3, blessed... I'm sorry, this is Matthew 5, verse 9. Let me not get ahead of myself. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. We talked about the difference last week. What's the difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers? We embrace the conflict. Well, if someone hits you and you refuse to hit them back, or you turn the other cheek when an insult is hurled your way, or you walk away and you go the extra mile to forgive without question those who trespass against you, you're probably going to be called a doormat. Someone's probably going to be like, you're going to do something about it? I don't think so. You ain't going to do nothing. You're a Christian. You ain't going to do nothing about it. Well, what's Jesus have to say? Matthew 5, verse 10. This will be on the screen. This is the final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Amen. He follows that up in verse 11 and 12. You are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. That's a truth to hold on to if there ever was one. 
I'm using the CSB for a lot of my stuff today, Christian Standard. You can use whatever you would like, but the point being, it's the same. You will be persecuted because of your righteousness because if you bear the name of Christ, they will falsely say and persecute you with every kind of evil. But we are to take heart because our reward is great in heaven. Let's touch on this for a moment. Michael, what does it mean? If I'm going to be persecuted for living right and doing the right thing, doing what God wants me to do, you know, Michael, it's easy for you to say you're up there with a the microphone. You look pretty funny as it is. You're a weird-looking guy. Of course you're going to get persecuted. I'm a good-looking guy or a woman. I ain't going to face no persecution. Well, I understand that. I know I'm a funny-looking dude, but here's the thing. Here's a key point. You don't have to be a preacher or a teacher with a microphone. You don't have to be up here on stage week in and week out. You don't have to be any kind of leadership role. You don't have to be serving week in and week out for you to face, or your family, face persecution. It comes to those who are centered around Christ, regardless of where you're at in any kind of church leadership platform or whatever. And if you don't believe me, let's take a look at the very first illustration of persecution in the Bible. And it's between Cain and Abel, the brothers. And let me just say this. It's not because Abel was doing anything wrong to Cain. He wasn't condemning Cain. He wasn't saying, look how holier I am than you. You better turn from your wicked ways and start following religious ways. He wasn't saying any of that. Cain was angry with his brother because Abel was living the right way. Cain knew that his brother was living for God and that he was serious about being, about having Christ as the center of his life. Even See, Abel by himself had Christ as the center. He was planting those seeds. He was planting the seeds by having Christ in the center. And so his own sin, this is talking about Cain, Cain's own sin convicted him, and the conviction ultimately caused him to kill his own brother. And this, here's, the, here's the key part of that story. It's not because of anything that Abel did wrong. It's because he did everything right that he faced that persecution and that death. And I don't know what it is for you today, friend. I really don't. Because my walk is different from your walk. Pastor Clayton's walk is different from your walk. The person you're sitting beside, their walk with Christ, I'm sure, is different. We're all going to face different styles and forms of persecution. Your kids will face different things than my kids, or I'll probably face different things than what you faced in school or whatever. We all grew up in different eras and generations and things like that. But the thing is, persecution comes to those who proclaim and profess the name of Jesus. Think about the situations around you or ones that you've experienced in the past or ones that you could even potentially experience in the future as a Christ-centered family. Maybe you're a young adult in here today who's being openly mocked at school or in college or whatever because you're making the claim that you're going to be pure in heart, mind, and body because your vessel is a temple, your body is a temple to Christ, and you're not going to take that drug or you're not going to take that drink or have sex, premarital sex. You're not going to do any of that, and you're getting mocked for it. God bless you. God bless you if you're proclaiming that purity. Amen. Maybe it's the way that you parent. I talked about this the last time I was fortunate enough and blessed to be on this stage. You're feeling guilt regarding your parental choices and you are reinforced that by people around you who are saying, why don't you let your kids ever do anything? Why don't you let them just have fun? Why can't you just miss a Sunday or a couple out of the month? Why can't they be here during the middle of the week when you guys are at church or doing a life group or whatever? Well, I mean, bless, bless the parents who are choosing and planting those seeds early in their kids' life so that their walk with Christ will be strengthened. The Bible says, teach your children young and they will not depart from it. We have to reinforce that. 
if you're seeking God, maybe you're an adult, and you're so serious about your walk with Christ, you're praying every day, you're a devout servant of God, but things just aren't lining up for you. Your finances are in turmoil, your relationships are struggling, and you have no idea what's wrong. You keep saying to yourself, what am I doing wrong? God, what, what do I need to do? People are laughing at you from every side saying, where's your God now? If he's not there for you when you need him, then what's the point of serving the God that you claim to love and serve? I don't get it. And you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? But here's the thing, in reality, you can flip that and say, I must be doing something right for all the spiritual opposition to be hitting me, so I'm just going to keep trucking and keep moving along and doing the work of God. Because the devil does not like it when people of God do the work of God and he sees the fruits from it. It kills him. Because if the kingdom of God's being built, the devil keeps going down lower, lower on the totem pole. He's scared. He knows the war's already over, but he's still trying to win tiny little battles here and there. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life and say, I'm going to keep moving along doing what you have called me to do. God's plan for your life is better than your own. The persecution will come, but you have to have the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the courage. So that brings up the question in regards to this series. How are we going to prepare our families? What do we do in the face of persecution? How do we grow our roots in faith so that our families can handle inevitable persecution? And like I've said, you don't have to have a family now to start planting the seeds to get an idea and to grow in your faith and to learn how persecution can't move you if you're centered around Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. And the first of the three things we're going to discuss, preparing our families for persecution, one, we teach them to expect it. Paul clearly states this to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Let's look. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? What, what, what does it say? We will, they will be what? Persecuted, yes. In my Bible app, on the CSB version, like I said, I like to read out of, the headline for this chapter in Timothy literally says difficult times ahead. Like, it's just, it, it's just prepping all you warriors of God, like it's prepping us, persecution will come. And our obedience to Christ and our commitment to Him and living a life that's centered around Christ, you're going to be criticized because you're misunderstood, but that is completely okay. Because you're going to be seeking God and listening to God and how He wants you to follow Him and how He wants you to lead and be a part of your family and lead your family through persecution. That's okay. It's okay to get funny looks because you're Christ-centered. It's okay. I get funny looks all the time. Look at me. Anyway, Angelia and I, this is a quick story. Um, we're going through a huge transition point in our life. Angelia and I, ask either one of us, we're going through transition like on a scale that we've never seen in our lives. And we're really having to, quote, buckle down in preparation for these and hold true to Jesus through it all. Because we've got a, our oldest to start in second grade, um, Roman, our little wildling running around wherever he's at. He's, he's in class. I'm just joking. He's getting ready to start kindergarten. Um, Beckham, our sweet three-year-old, he's not quite ready for school, but he's getting ready to be ready for preschool. And then we've got Salem, who's 18 months and just doesn't care about anything except sleeping and being with her mom and eating, okay? So that's not changing, but the other three are. So Angelia, my wonderful wife, reminded me of this in the middle of our talks this earlier in this week, and at I had to get it in this message somehow. But she reminded me that in the transition, pa 
phases. In the middle of transition, the devil likes to try to scheme his way in there like a snake. He likes to try to get in there and worry you in the face of change. Because, I mean, if you ask anybody, a lot of people don't like change. A lot of people are uncomfortable with it. That's fine. But if God's doing stuff in your life and he's doing stuff in the church and he's doing stuff in ministry and that you're a part of, and you're facing transition and change in those things, God is not going to let the good things and the good works that you started in his name, for his name, and for his kingdom, be overtaken by the devil. If you hold true and you're steadfast in your service to God and your fruits are bearing good spiritual fruit. The devil's like the weeds in the garden, right? So if we got fruit growing up and we got stuff growing out from the seeds of faithfulness, and the devil sees that, he's going to try to be the weeds that overtake the fruit. He's going to be the ones that are trying to destroy all the fruit because he knows that God's got a good thing going. He's got a good thing he's working on in your life or working with your family. He does not want to see that prosper. He doesn't. But God is not going to let the fruits of your work and your service to him be destroyed by change if you don't let it. You have to hold true and stand fast, stand true, I should say, in the face of opposition, in the face of change, and say, devil, you don't have a stronghold on me today or my family. Even though we're in the middle of a change, we're going to hold true to our God. Our lives are centered around it, so no matter what change comes, we're going to hold true that Jesus is an inevitable truth in this life. Amen. Back to my kids. I get looks all the time. Angelia gets looks all the time. We've got a seven, five, three, and one-year-old. And people are like, why do you take your kids to Prestonsburg? Two-hour drive. Why do you get up at 6 in the morning some mornings on Sundays to be there at 8 o'clock to do two services and not get home till 3 or 4? Why are you doing that to your kids? Why aren't you letting them have fun or not go to church? Why are you doing that to them? And I just say, man, listen, I have to make sure as a father, my wife has to make sure as a mother that we let our kids know and they're reinforced with the idea that God loves them, He made them on purpose, and He cares for them. Amen. If we don't do that, the world will get its little foothold in there and their precious little hearts in their lives. And I'm not about to be a bystander and let my kids get swayed whichever direction they want to by the devil and his works in this world. I'm not going to do it. Parents, I encourage you to not let your kids do that either. You have a responsibility as a parent that no matter what persecution comes, they have a deep-seated faith of God that he loves them, he cares for them, and he's not going to let the world take their precious hearts. He's not going to let them do it. You have a responsibility as parents to instill that in them at the young ages of seven, three, five, and one, whatever it is, apply it to your life. Do not let the lies of the devil influence their heart. Bring them to church. It doesn't matter what looks you get. Bring them to church every time you can. It does not matter what looks. It does not everything else falls in line. Events, whatever. It doesn't matter. Church, God, community with believers is the most important thing that your child can experience up until they leave the house. Right. So now more than ever, it's important that we as families that are Christ-centered expect the persecution because if we're being honest with ourselves, the persecution hasn't been that hard. It's been pretty light. It's nothing like some of these other people experience in third world countries and across the globe that literally get beheaded or their tongues taken out for professing faith in God. It's nothing like that here. We're blessed. We're fortunate. I understand that in the USA. I understand that. But we have to be honest with ourselves because as the world goes on and hostility grows against the Christianity name, 
the persecution is going to get heavier. We have to prepare ourselves for that. And we focus now on planting those roots that I've talked about all morning. We're going to be strong enough to not be moved. And we teach our children to hold on to the truths of Jesus because they will never sway. They'll never be moved by the world. Jesus cannot be moved by the devil. He has already won that battle. And when the persecution comes, you just laugh in the face of the devil and you say, I've got a plan. And it's God. And that's what we're sticking to. Jesus says clearly in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it ever hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember, the word I spoke to you, a servant, is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Moving on to the second point. Today, how do we teach our families to face persecution? Number two, we teach them to endure it. I like how the Passion Translation puts this following verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. It's on the screen. When people abuse us and insult us, we respond with a blessing. And when severely persecuted, we endure it with patience. The CSB version's up there, but the Passion Translation's in the Bible app. When people abuse and insult us, we respond with a blessing. We pray for the person who's persecuting us. Wow. And when severely persecuted, we endure it with patience. Let me lightheartedly say this to you this morning. Social media persecution does not count. Okay? I don't mean that rudely. I'm just saying you, you don't make a grop about it if someone unfollows you because of your faith in Christ or you shared a verse or you shared a worship song. It's not worth gropping over. That's not worth fighting over. That's not worth saying, woe is me. Whatever have I done to lose this friend out of the thousands I have? It's not worth it because you endure it and you move on. Because this kind of persecution is not really worth talking about because there's others in the world, like I said a second ago, who are literally dying. They're physically being persecuted for their faith. Thank God we have not experienced that on a grand scale. But listen, God bless you if you've been outcast from your family. You've got family members who just don't believe the same as you. And you have said, guys, I, I, I can't get away from this Jesus thing. I can't get away from having a relationship with Jesus. And they've outcast you and they said, you're not part of this family anymore. God bless you for that persecution you're facing. God bless the man or the woman of God who makes a hard financial sacrifice that God's calling them to for the sake of their family. And you're being laughed at for it. God bless the followers of Christ who endure persecution of mocking and slandering against your name and your family. When you endure that persecution, God does a work inside of you. He draws you closer to him and in in, the intimacy that you share with one another. Jesus and you... It's increased, and your walk with Christ is strengthened because of that persecution. Your obedience will be rewarded in heaven, and it does not go unnoticed by our God. Another story, real quick, about my family, and then I'll shut up about stories, and I'll stop talking about them, but I couldn't not get through this today without talking about this, and I told in the first service, I told everybody, I said, my wife didn't know it was coming. I, she didn't know I was going to talk about her, but she does now because she sat through the first one. But anyway, back in 2017, our Beckham was getting ready to be born. And Angelia had been praying for months. I'm sorry, I got away from the mic. She'd been praying for months about leaving the job that she had worked after the maternity leave was over. Hard decision, hard decision, but she knew that it was something that she needed to do because she felt a calling from the Lord 
to pursue a, posi to pursue a position that has developed into her full-time ministry position at Lane of Roses. And um, I remember people, family members, um, just we were met with so many eye rolls, abounding eye rolls. As far as the eye can see, oh, why are you guys doing that? It's so stupid. Why are y'all leaving? Why is, why is Angelia leaving her full-time position that's got a solid pay and all that? Why is, she, why is she doing that? Why would she go to Lexington two days out of the week and drive from Eastern Kentucky? I don't understand. And Angelia would just always say with a smile on her face, grace in her heart, I'm just called to do it. And, you know, we don't know when these kind of things happen. We don't know when God's going to call us. We don't know how long they'll last or when they'll happen. But the thing is, we can't pretend to know any of that because God does not operate on our time. We operate on His. Let me just say that. Anyway, I've had a front row seat for the last four years to see my wife's work and see how women from all over the world, through the ministry of Lana Roses and her work, be forever changed and realize that they were made on purpose for a purpose and that they have work to do for the kingdom building purpose of Jesus Christ. I've seen that over the last four years and I've seen that I've seen that influence her walk with Christ. It's strengthened, it's developed, it's challenged me as a father and as a husband. It's bettered me. It's bettered our family since that happened. And we've realized throughout our marriage, Angelia and I, when that first started, we really, middle of our marriage, I'd say, we realized that we don't live, we can't live for the approval of other people's. We can that's only right. live for God's approval. That's right, brother. So, friend, if you're thinking about a decision that's going to be met with eye rolls in your family, but you know it's a calling from God, and he's put it so passionately on your heart, embrace that, because God's will for your life is better than your own will, okay? And I don't say all that. Please hear me. I do not say any of that to lift my wife up on a pedestal or say, well, look how great my wife is. I don't do that. She would be the first to tell you she doesn't care about that. She doesn't care if her name's on the project that she does or whatever. She doesn't care about any of that. That's not the purpose of my story. The purpose is saying that was serving, volunteering, any sort of ministry. You know, that's never to be done for the approval of man, only for God's. And that whatever you spend, your time, your effort, talent, whatever else is given in service is done to glorify the king and the king alone. That's a testimony and a witness that is building that will speak for itself. You don't have to edify it with words and you don't have to talk to it. You just let your testimony speak for itself and people will come to understand Christ and know him through that testimony. God did a work inside of Angelia that progressed through our whole family and I can guarantee because over the last four years I've seen it firsthand and I can 100% say that decision has got us to where we are today and I'm so thankful for it. Anyway, that's enough about my story. I just needed to say that. Um, honestly, I would say though, back to the persecution aspect of this message, you know, if, you, if you're facing little persecution, you're at a disadvantage because as Christian people who are probably um, not being persecuted like days of old, you know, back in the day like apostles and disciples and things like that and people who are being persecuted on the other side of the world, you know, we're at a spiritual disadvantage. But here's the thing. When you look back through history and you look back through Scripture, you see how the church was persecuted, how they moved on, and how they were stronger from it. That's the whole point of point number two, enduring it. Persecution brought about unity when the ones who were serious about Christ and keeping Christ as the center of their lives and in their families 
when they went through those fires and those trials as families, they were strengthened because of it. The unity among believers was strengthened because they had went through persecution together. When your family understands that persecution will come and you can stand together and say, full of faith, boldly, that we're a Christ-centered family. We know we'll be persecuted, but we have a mission. And that mission is to bring glory to the kingdom of God. And that's what we're here and that's what we're living for. When you can say that, you have identity in Christ. There's a pastor, or there's a statement from Pastor Craig Rochelle that is really important to him, and he's taught it in his family classes among his church campuses. And it says this, it's going to be on the screen. When family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. When family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Identity cannot be found in the world. Your identity, if you're a Christ-centered family, is firmly established only in Christ's name. And as a Christ-centered family, you can say we're Christ followers. We know the persecution's coming. The mission is God-given and God-filled. And then the persecution that comes and the pressure that you guys face, kids or adults, it doesn't matter whoever's in the family, you guys can be sure that the persecution won't be as strong because, here's a key point, you can say, I know who I am. I know who we are as a family because we know whose we are. Let me say it again if you didn't catch it. If your identity is in Christ and Christ alone, you can say, I know who I am because I know whose I am. That will change your thinking, radical thinking, paradigm shift. If you know who you belong to, you know your identity is in Christ. That's what it's all about. And as I invite the worship team back up, the third point today, how can we as Christ-centered families face and prepare for persecution? It's we embrace it. Number three, it's up on the screen. We embrace the persecution. Michael, why in the world? Why in the world? Would you be telling me to embrace the persecution? Why would I want my family to go through that? Why would I want to go through that? Why in the world would we want to embrace those trying to cause harm to us? We do that, my friends, because the, the name we bear, Jesus' name, we thank God that we as Christ-centered families can get to suffer in some small, minute way the same way as Jesus did. It might not make sense, but we get to take part in suffering just a little bit. I couldn't imagine what it was like to die on a cross. We will never have to know that painful, antagonizing death. But we can say, if we face persecution and suffering in some way, like his son did, it's a righteous cause because we're bearing the name of Jesus. We are suffering in some small way for the one who gave us his all. We should be honored to do that and honored to serve Jesus in the middle of the suffering. It's a privilege to give ourselves up in service and our lives up for Jesus. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Thank you, God. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 16 goes on to say, and this is the Passion Translation. It's up on the screen. If you suffer for being a Christian, don't consider it a disgrace, but a privilege. Glorify God because you carry the anointed one's name. 
if that passage of scripture doesn't set a fire in your bones or in your spirit, you've got to check your pulse, guys. I don't know how else to put it. That is a powerful, powerful scripture, piece of scripture. That passage, don't consider it a disgrace, but a, per, a privilege in the face of persecution, guys, in the face of persecution. It's a privilege because we glorify that of the anointed one. When your coworkers make fun of you for a simple, something as simple as blessing your food and praying over your food at lunch and they laugh at you, you just bear it. You just move on along and say, thank you, God, that I get to bear your name in some sort of persecution. I know it's nothing to whatever your son did. I know it's not even a close fragment of what your son did on the cross for me. But I'm thankful that I get to bear that name. When you're a man, men, when people invite you out, guys, when guys invite you out, co-workers, whoever it is, when they invite you out on the night in the town and they say, hey, let's go look at this uh, club and let's go see some stuff. And you know what the stuff is, but you're going to say, no, I can't do that. And they're just going to be like, what do you mean? Come on. You're a guy. It's natural. It's a natural thing for us to do. No. You say, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm practicing honoring my future wife and I'm practicing honoring God with my body and my eyes. Keeping a pure heart, like I said earlier. Wow, that's silly. Why are you doing that? You ain't got a wife right now. Why you got to worry about it? Well, I'm just not going to do it. You guys go on. I ain't doing it. I'm going to choose to honor my future wife. Bless you men who choose to lift up women who choose to see them for who they are, children of God instead of sexual objects. Okay? Praise be to God when women who are strong enough in their faith can take no part in the gossip that's happening on your phones or on your inner circles or whatever, when you can say, I'm not going to gossip today when everyone around you is talking crap about the people who are beside of you and you're just like, this is, this is garbage. I don't want no part of this. And they're laughing at you. And they're saying, come on. Did you see what she did? This is worth laughing about. This is worth talking about. And you're just like, no, I'm not going to do it. Bless you, woman, because you're using your words to lift up and speak life instead of tearing down your friends. Don't do that. Bless you, women, who do that. When the persecution is, is heavy and you're being left out, women, if you realize you're being left out from those same women who were gossiping, and you take no part in the gossip and you're like, why am I not being invited to the parties? Why, why is uh, my kids being left out? Why am I not being invited to anything? Why am I not being talked to? You say, God, thank you for letting me bear your name in the face of this persecution. I'm going to stand true to what you've called me to be. We thank God for the small amount of suffering that we can take because we know that the righteous cause of Jesus is worth every bit of it. Simply put, it doesn't matter what we have to face. If we are serious about Christ and He's the center of our families, then we're going to bear any kind of persecution we can if we can glorify the name of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Blessed are you families when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen, let me go back to what I said earlier. If you're in here today and you're just feeling like nothing's going on, everything is going wrong in your life and you're calling out to Jesus and you're like God what do I have to do what do I have to change why is nothing going the way I want it to remind yourself that it might not be anything you're doing wrong but it's probably what you're doing right in the face of that spiritual opposition 
There are battles. We face them every day. It's very real. But we serve a God who's already won the war. The battles are nothing in the grand scheme of the war because God's already won it. He won it the day he went on Calvary's hill and took that death on a cross. And I'm going to say this last thing. And I'm going to say this out of love, so please understand this, because I'm preaching to myself, talking to myself, and stepping on my own toes. As a father and as a husband, I'm telling myself this. Do not worry, it's on the screen, when your family's being persecuted for righteousness, but the only time we should worry is when we're not facing persecution. Because then you have to ask yourself, is there something that I'm not doing that just makes me a standalone, like I'm just a regular old Christian, a Christian home? If there's nothing different about you, like I said earlier, then what point? What's the point? There's got to be evidence. There's got to be an actual serious love of Christ and serious desire to serve Christ in your families. There has to be. You have to get serious every once in a while. And this today is a serious message. I know it's not an uplifting, just have fun, fun, laughter message. I get that. I understand. But the point is this. It's never a bad time to get serious about your families and about their destiny and their eternal calling in heaven. We have to do the work as a Christ-centered family now while we have the breath in our lungs that God's given us to glorify the King. We have to. We have to be serious about that. It takes serious Christ-centered family to not just be another Christian home, to not just be another family on the street that's just in the middle of everything and there's nothing that's special that separates you. We have to be serious. We have to fully expect, embrace, and endure the persecution that comes our ways. God, we bless the homes. We're asking you, God, bless the homes and families that are centered around you. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray right now in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ that you are doing a work in us and through us only for you, God. It's for you. Let us be changed in your name. If there's anyone dealing with guilt that they've not been across in their family for this long, and they're wanting to change, God, we thank you for them because it's never a bad time to start being a Christ-centered family. Let's get serious, God. We're asking right now in the name of Jesus if there are any families in here who are serious about the calling that they have on their lives from Jesus and they want to get serious about being a Christ-centered family, that today is that day that something just connects, it clicks, something different about today's message through your words only, God, has changed them and the eternal destiny of their families, God. I pray that with every ounce of being in me. I pray for everybody who in here who might not have kids, who might not have a spouse, God. I pray that seeds are being planted regardless of that, God, so that when they do have a family or they do have kids, they can come to know and expect and they can stand on the rock. They can stand on your word, God, and say, no matter what persecution comes, in any form or fashion, I will stand true and stand on your word because your word is true, God. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that's new and refreshing. And every day we don't deserve it, but you give it to us freely. I thank you so much, God. And as we go out these doors today, I pray that we leave differently than when we walked in here. Families, people, everyone alike, God. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing another song. You guys are more than welcome to stand as we do it. I encourage you to do so. We're going to sing this as a body of believers.
to sing this, that no matter what darkness comes, God is the ultimate triumphant light in the midst of that darkness. And again, I'll be honored to pray with you at the altar. Pastor Clayton would be honored to pray with you. This is not an altar of judgment. You will face no judgment here. Only love, acceptance, whatever you've got to lay down as we sing this out.